if we don't take urgent action on regulating methane emissions from ships, then every year that we delay, we're locking in another asset and another asset and another asset for decades. Welcome to The Jolt. It's Wednesday, the 31st of January. I'm your host, Sam Morgan. Coming up later in the show, I'll be looking at how shipping, one of the most polluting sectors in the world, is starting to make good on its promises to change course and clean up its act. As we rapidly hurtle our way towards the end of the week, just a reminder that this is the final week that the jolt will be completely free to listen to. Next week, non-members will only be able to access our Monday and Friday shows. So that's as good a reason as any to join our growing community. You'll unlock access to all of our quality journalism and be able to contribute to the ongoing, fascinating conversations about everything energy transition. Details are in the show notes. Let's get on with the episode and check in on what is happening in the wider world of energy and climate. The United States' electric vehicle market breached 1 million cars for the first time in 2023, according to new data. Last year, 1.1 million battery electric cars and nearly 300,000 plug-in hybrids were sold. Both are record numbers. Sales increased more than 50% compared with 2022 and have quadrupled since 2020. Europe's EV market is expected to cool in 2024. Check out a recent episode of The Jolt in the show notes to learn why. And the US's is expected to follow suit. Today was supposed to be the first big milestone for the European Union's new carbon border tax, the CBAM. However, after a number of companies reported problems with the emissions reporting system, the European Commission decided to grant a 30-day extension. It's the first sign of teething problems with the brand new green trade mechanism. The United Kingdom's lack of eco-design rules for mobile phones and other smart devices has been criticised by a top government panel. The EU Scrutiny Committee has looked into how energy performance criteria and labelling will affect the UK, as those rules will apply in Northern Ireland. The committee warned in a new report that because the government has not provided details about how the rest of the UK will diverge from the EU's laws, it risks creating an unacceptable split within its market. In a letter addressed to the UK Minister for Energy Efficiency, the committee asks whether the government will, with this in mind, decide to follow EU rules. The government has until the 7th of February to reply. Still in the UK, and an influential climate advisory board has told the government that COP28's outcomes must spur more ambitious green policies. The Climate Change Committee warned that the UK's international reputation had suffered because of mixed messaging over fossil fuel exploitation and net zero goals. Already off track to meet its 2030 targets, the UK needs to pick up the pace, the panel also warned. The CCC will publish its annual stocktake in June. A new temperature record may have been set in the UK. 19.9 degrees was recorded in northwest Scotland, and if confirmed, would be the highest temperature ever monitored in January. I get the distinct feeling that we will be bringing you this kind of news item on an increasingly regular basis. Japan may launch a $20 billion scheme aimed at promoting hydrogen as a fuel this summer. The government is considering opening the new fund to applications and selecting viable candidates by the end of the year, according to Bloomberg. Subsidies would cover the price difference between hydrogen and fossil gas. 
The scheme itself will be funded by the proceeds of a new government bond that is set to be issued in February. Ten Spanish companies have joined forces to develop the world's first hydrogen-powered high-speed train. Talgo, a Spanish train maker, is leading the project, which aims to install a fuel cell on one of its locomotives. The cell will be fueled with green hydrogen and is intended for use on routes that are only partly electrified. It remains to be seen what kind of applications this would actually have in the future. Nearly 70% of Spain's rail network is electrified, and hydrogen has been touted in the past as an option for rural isolated train lines, where overhead electrification is too costly or difficult to install. How high-speed rail fits into the hydrogen debate is difficult to see, quite frankly. And Australia's solar power revolution is going from strength to strength. New data for the last quarter of 2023 shows that PV provided nearly 3.5 gigawatts of power. An energy market operator report reveals that for one day at the end of December, all of South Australia's electricity demand was met with rooftop solar alone. And in October, 72% of the entire East Coast demand was satisfied by a mixture of rooftop and grid-scale PV. Incredible stuff. Can't wait to see what 2024 has in store. That's it for your news updates today, now let's get into the story of the moment. International shipping represents a massive challenge for the energy transition. Responsible for about 3% of global emissions, if the sector were a country it would have a bigger carbon footprint than Germany. It's easy to see why. Tens of thousands of massive vessels, each weighing tens of thousands of tonnes, and mostly running on dirty fuels, navigate our seas and oceans every day. But regulation has finally caught up with the sector, and this week we had tangible proof that shipping's days of polluting with impunity are gradually coming to an end. We start off in Miami, where star footballer Lionel Messi was part of a naming ceremony for what is now the world's largest cruise ship. The icon of the seas costs well over a billion dollars to build. It can carry nearly 8,000 passengers and weighs a quarter of a million tonnes. What's quite interesting about it, though, is how it's powered. Its six massive engines can run on normal marine fuel or liquefied natural gas, LNG. That's significant because LNG produces a lot less CO2 when burned. Great news for the climate then, right? Not so fast. Less CO2 for sure, but LNG is made mostly of methane, a different greenhouse gas that has a more aggressive climate warming impact than CO2. There's also another problem. More and more shippers are putting their faith in LNG. A new study has shown that real-world methane emissions may be higher than anticipated by regulators. I spoke with Brian Comer, a shipping expert at the International Council on Clean Transportation, about the LNG problem. What we've seen with the use of LNG is that over time, there's been a shift in how it's been used. So it used to be used in steam turbines, and they're not very efficient, but they also have very little methane emissions. And now we have a shift towards using LNG in more efficient internal combustion engines, dual fuel internal combustion engines. But the consequence is that some of the methane is remaining unburned, and that escapes out of the exhaust stacks and into the atmosphere. In this project, we were able to measure 45 plumes from 34 unique vessels and measured the methane that was coming out of the engines. 
So there's a couple of different engine technologies. The most common is the one that has the highest methane slip, and it's called low pressure dual fuel four-stroke, which we abbreviate to LPDF four-stroke. So we have really robust data on the methane emissions from the LPDF four-stroke engines for the ships that only use that engine technology. And the methane slip range anywhere from about 1% to 14%, but the average was 6.4% methane slip, and the median was about 6.1%, whereas the European Union, their assumptions is that the typical value for that engine technology is 3.1%. So we're about twice as high in real-world operations on average. That has consequences for the use of LNG as a marine fuel and its future as a marine fuel, because the LPDF four-stroke engines are the most popular by number of uh, ships that it's installed in and the amount of LNG that's used by ships, which is really the important part. The ICCT recommends that regulators increase their default assumptions to at least 6% because of these findings. Brian explained during our chat as well that if it isn't changed, it will allow ship owners to use LNG in more vessels and for longer periods of time. That means more methane and more damage to the climate. I also asked Brian whether this risks having a big negative impact on wider climate efforts. At COP26 a couple of years ago, there was the launch of the Global Methane Pledge. And the goal was to reduce methane emissions by 30% between 2020 and 2030. Doesn't matter what sector, that's just total methane emissions, we want to reduce it. Well, the one area where methane emissions are growing is the shipping sector. We predict that demand for LNG as a marine fuel will triple between 2019 and 2030. That implies a tripling of methane emissions as well. And even if you were to shift to 100% renewable LNG, either bio LNG or synthetic LNG, because of the methane slip problem, we would still predict a doubling of absolute methane emissions between 2019 and 2030. You really can't call LNG a bridging technology anymore or uh, a short-term solution because even in the medium term and the longer term, we're expecting total methane emissions increase. Once you have these ships on the water and you've invested in the fuel tanks that you need for LNG, there's no way that you're going to retrofit that to run any other kind of fuel. And you're going to be locked into that decision for 30, 40 years. I mean, you're trying to get the longest return on investment in your asset as possible. If we don't take urgent action on actually regulating methane emissions from ships or appropriately regulating methane emissions from ships, then every year that we delay, we're locking in another asset and another asset and another asset for decades. Let's shift from Miami to the shipyards of South Korea now, where Danish shipping giant Maersk has made good on its pledge to lead the way on decarbonisation. The world's first large-scale cargo ship that can run on methanol was commemorated and will begin its maiden voyage next month. The Annamask can carry up to 16,000 containers, and its chosen fuel source, methanol, offers the potential for carbon-neutral voyages. I asked Brian whether methanol suffers from any shortcomings like LNG. Both fuels have the challenge of sourcing sustainable carbon and renewable hydrogen, because they're hydrocarbon fuels. So you need both carbon and hydrogen. If you were to use hydrogen directly in a fuel cell, then you just need renewable hydrogen. You don't have to worry about the carbon source. The carbon source is the difficulty for both LNG and for 
methanol. So you need either a sustainable biosource, which is in short supply, and there's demand from other sectors, including aviation, or you need to capture carbon. Right now, methanol on a life cycle greenhouse gas perspective emits about the same amount as marine gas oil, maybe a little higher, but it's still better than LNG in a high methane slip engine. And once you start replacing the fossil methanol with fuels that have methanol that has lower life cycle emissions, eventually you can get to net zero greenhouse gases. You can't do that even with 100% renewable LNG because you're always going to have some methane coming out of the exhaust uncombusted. So LNG and methanol offer two different options, and there's a third to consider as well. Brian actually mentioned it during our chat, hydrogen fuel cells. A new project aimed at retrofitting a large cargo ship with a fuel cell kicked off this week. The Gamma project has won EU funding worth 17 million euros to help it turn theory into proof of concept. Kjartan Du Nielsen, innovation manager at the Icelandic engineering company Verkis, which is the project leader, explained the background and objectives of this brand new endeavour. So what's interesting about this uh, Gamma project is that the development in the world has been, in, in, in the shipping, has been that those that are designing ships from, from scratch have identified, and, and all actors in the field have identified, that the methanol and ammonia will be the, the future green fuels in shipping. Those in shipping design have designed ships or vessels that are capable of using uh, even both types of fuels on the same ship. What's so interesting about Gamma is the innovation technology that is used on board and what we will do in the project. We will actually bunker fuel, the ammonia and methanol on board the vessel. What we will then do is that with reformer and cracker technology, we'll actually convert the ammonia and the methanol into hydrogen. The hydrogen will then be purified with uh, uh, also another new technology, and then it will be used in fuel cells. And out of the fuel cells comes electricity that's going to be used for the secondary engine. With the, this type of process, uh, the efficiency is much higher. And uh, just to name that uh, in this cracker reformer technology, it's up to 90% efficiency. This is a very innovative project in that sense. We're bringing uh, together all these companies. So it will have an impact within the five year of the product. In year three or four, we will actually have a demonstration campaign. So we will actually go on the ocean and sail between countries and, and, and use this technology, this new fuel system. And then it can have a huge impact on greenhouse gas emissions uh, in the sector. This sector you know, creates for roughly 3% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. And in the transport sector, it's, it's um, 80-90% is happening in, on, on ships. Many thanks for joining me today. Kira will be with you tomorrow, so tune back in then. Foresight's brand new website and app is up and running, and it's looking great. If you'd like to join our growing community and get involved in the vibrant conversations going on about the energy transition, please consider becoming a member today. And as a little treat for sticking with us to the end of the episode, follow the link in the show notes. It'll get you one month's free access to all of our fantastic journalism and podcasts. Thanks once again to everyone at Foresight for helping to make the job possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of the Jolt. <laughs>